Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Network. We are helping people discover their talent altitude. On this pod, listeners can learn about leadership and other related attributes from former and current successful business people, coaches, and athletes. Each episode will bring you a conversation with people that display the seven pillars of dynamic leadership. Someone who possesses those seven pillars has courage, drive and accountability, integrity, grit, great communication skills, a high level of emotional intelligence, and they can motivate others. We will also talk with individuals that use their athletic and competitive experiences to lead in life, in business, community, or in their family. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. If you have time, please take a minute and on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and review. Today's guest on the podcast, episode number 49, one away from episode 50. But today I'm going to be joined by Christina Navarro. Christina is a Senior Associate Athletic Director for Leadership Development and Strategic Partnership at Rutgers University. She is also a former collegiate athlete, having done both rowing and track and field. Her decade of experience in athletic administration and higher education makes this conversation amazingly interesting. So let's get into this conversation, but first, let's sit back, relax, get comfortable. The dog days of August are upon us, and because of that, let's jam a bit with the Atari's Boys of Summer. Welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, I have Christina Navarro on the line with me. Christina, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I want to give you an opportunity to dive right into this conversation and first tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself. So please tell us, who are you? My name is Christina Navarro. I currently work in kind of a joint role at Rutgers University as a Senior Associate Athletic Director for Leadership Development and Strategic Partnerships, and then also work uh, kind of in tandem with our faculty as an Assistant Professor of Practice for the Grad School of Education. My work is really focused kind of on the nexus between higher education and athletics leadership. So a lot of what I've done as a former tenured professor and now faculty member and administrator is bring these worlds of academics and athletics together in a full circle in how we support the professional development of student athletes. Beautiful. And I definitely want to talk more about that later on in our conversation, but I want to get a little bit more context for our audience and learn a little bit more. I read that you were a rower and track and field student athlete in college. So my my assumption is that you had sports be at some of the center of your life growing up. Can you tell us a little bit about what athletics and what sports were like growing up for you? Sure. So I came from a pretty uh, athletically driven family. My dad had played football at Wisconsin and also Wisconsin Whitewater. And my mom was also an athlete. My brother was a Division One football 
athlete. My sister plays uh, volleyball. So several of my first cousins and uh, brothers and sisters and parents had all been immersed kind of in this student-athlete ideology or how we were balancing both students, or the role of a student and an athlete. So that was kind of just from the beginning. In high school, I started out uh, as a three-sport athlete. I know today the specialization of sport is another conversation point, but for me it was I really enjoyed playing a lot of different sports. So I started in my freshman year, I kind of had to decide. I had been playing five different sports, and you have to kind of focus a little bit more in high school in three. So in the fall, I played volleyball. In the winter, I did a, the club volleyball thing and basketball. And then the spring, I did track and field, which was kind of prepping for the next volleyball season. And then when it came time to college, to go to college, I had grown up in Madison, and Madison was kind of an ideal goal for me to, to become a student athlete. So I walked out to the rowing team. A sport I hadn't done before, but an opportunity to continue to compete at a high level and, and go to a larger Big Ten institution. That, that lasted for a year in the sense of I, I really was struggling to identify what I wanted to do in life after sport. Uh, I was a business major at the time. I'd gotten into the business school. Uh, but for me, it was just kind of a not knowing what I wanted the next step to be and having trouble focusing in on a goal if I didn't know what that end game looked like. And then also really missing a sport that I had done and kind of grown up with, track and field. So I transferred to a D3 school and was able to really kind of find my niche, working in student leadership, being a part of their track and field team, doing a little bit with their volleyball team as well, and just really understanding how I could take that next step to work to support future students and student athletes to kind of navigate that freshman year transition. Hearing you say that, it's really interesting because it seems to me that one of the things that you were thinking about, say when, when you were in high school, that you're thinking about, okay, what's coming next in college? How am I going to be happy and fulfilled? And playing a sport, continuing to compete in athletics was one of those things. Not saying that that wasn't full fulfillment throughout college for you, but it almost seems like once you got to college, there was another flip that switched and all of a sudden you started thinking about, as you put it, life after sport. Did that realization come that early or was it later in your college career? When did that start? I would say, so just the, that navigation point really started for me in the freshman year and trying to really figure out in that transition for high, from high school to college, even though I was kind of in the same city and not having to deal with the homesickness factor, it was just, what do I really see myself doing in this concept of life after sport? I'd always been a pretty highly motivated student. And valedictorian of high school and very academically driven, but I struggled with how how was that academic ability going to connect to a career path for me. So I would say really that freshman year is when all that hit for me. You have that realization, and you decide that this is that needs to be a focus of some of your next steps in in what you're going to do. Did you ever see it playing out in the way that it has now throughout the course of your life, where? you'd be doing this type of work as a profession and doing it day in, day out? You know, so this field has kind of developed over the last 10 years, and I think it kind of was a perfect storm in the sense that this, this field of what formerly was called life skills was really starting about the time I had this kind of crisis myself of what am I going to do <laughs> with my life after, after college. So after I graduated my undergrad, I was involved in the Student Advisory Committee and Leadership I went back to Madison and did an internship, which was really at the time they were creating their Champs Life Skills Program. The idea of 
student-athlete development really kind of came on the scene about 10 years ago and has now progressed to be an actual curriculum-driven measurable outcome for many institutions in terms of postgraduate studies or community engagement uh, aspects or how they're relating with campus. And so I feel fortunate in the sense that the timing for me and my existential life crisis kind of came at the same time as this whole wave across intercollegiate athletics of providing support for student athletes. The academic portion of your life, just you mentioned being a very driven person. I think I heard you say you finished number one in your class. Where did that drive come from? I'm sure you equated it to athletics too, whether it was track and field or whatever sport it was. You mentioned playing multiple sports, but where did that internal drive come from? Was that something you learned from your parents or somebody that you admired growing up? I would say, yeah, my uh, my family, in addition to being kind of involved in the athletics world also was very driven by education. The majority of my family has been in either principal or superintendent or teacher roles. And I think just that idea of having a goal, having a purpose, and then aligning like your passion with your purpose is what I always grew up kind of believing. And so having that sense of greater purpose to what you do in your life work and kind of that uh, servant leadership mentality is really what's driven me to want to give back to others that are kind of going through these different but also similar crises within their own lives as they really narrow in on what they want to do for the long haul. Now, you're in, as you mentioned, a senior associate athletic director role at Rutgers University, does a lot of things related to either leadership development, strategic partnering, and I think I saw uh, fundraising as well, everything that you think about when you think about college administration. When you first got into this line of work, what was... I don't know, maybe the 10 year outlook, like what was the goal? What did you want to do? Did you want to become a true blown out athletic director? Did you have visions to do anything in particular? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So this, this whole idea of being, and so the, the title of senior associate AD for leadership development and strategic partnerships, you know, that didn't exist 10 years ago. So it wasn't like, Oh, I want to aspire to be in this role, but I really saw myself involved in some capacity with either business managing people or in the education space. Uh, Again, a lot of my family was involved in the K-12 education space. I didn't really see myself in a teacher role, but this idea of higher education and college and working, you know, to help people during the college years really was motivational to me. I had some really great mentors as I went through my college experience, specifically professors and advisors. And so that really resonated with me. And as the field started has started to expand over the last 10 years. It's something that I've really been able to kind of grow with from a professional standpoint. You've been with Rutgers University for just a little over a year. Yep. What brought you to Rutgers coming from your background and doing the other things? Was there something specific about the schools? Was it more specific about the opportunity itself? Sure. So really, I I guess I'll just be completely honest. I wasn't really looking to move. Uh, I was a I had a tenured role at University of Wisconsin Whitewater. I had kind of done my my time of moving around the United States in the sense of I did grad school at UNC Chapel Hill, went back to Madison and did my PhD, then moved to Oklahoma, worked at the University of Oklahoma, and so I kind of done the move a couple times. And in athletics world, that's normal. In education, it's not as normal. Um, so I I was had the good fortune of coming to UW-Whitewater, a D3 school, where my athletic director, when I was a student athlete up at lacrosse, was then at UW-Whitewater. Uh, so kind of developed this program in a joint role. I 
was able to rise through the tenure process and you know, being a tenured professor, that's, that's kind of a lifetime employment gig <laughs> should you you know not, not want to move up to administration or kind of move forward. So it was an opportunity to really set some roots down. But this opportunity at Rutgers came forward and it really was just an opportunity to be creative. Uh, this deputy athletic director and athletic director at the time, Pat Hobbs and Sarah Baumgartner were just very excited about the potential to really do something special at Rutgers. And we were able to create the first leadership development and strategic partnerships unit nationally, which has been cool. A lot of people call it student athlete development, but uh, we wanted to really align the external partnerships angle with our student athletes. So in the sense of career engagement, employer relationships, how we can support from a fundraising standpoint initiatives that directly enhance the student experience. So I guess that's a long way or a long-winded way of saying it. It kind of came came out of nowhere, and it just turned out to be a, a really good fit in the sense of a Big Ten school that wanted and is on the rise, new to the Big Ten, and really open open minds to innovation. Yeah, I want to piggyback on that last point you made. Just a school on the rise, a lot of money coming in, and from a revenue standpoint, with some of the, especially when you're talking athletics with the football uh, deals that. Are happening with television and some of the other things that you can, I'm sure, talk to a little bit more expertly than I can. But when you work with a program that is up and coming like that, what is it like for you to just know that that level of excitement is going to always be there? Like it's got to make your job so much easier to say, "Hey, we we've got this vision in the future." Versus, you know, maybe coming into a school that had been struggling with something like that, there's got to be a difference, just like it is if you're coaching a team per se, and they've been struggling for a while versus an up and coming program. Like that's got to be a really good feeling for you to know that, hey, you're leading this thing and we're, we're headed wherever you go. Yeah, I, it's it's been just kind of a blessing in the sky, disguise in the sense of, you know, moving across the country to take an opportunity where you don't know anybody and you really have no roots, but just feeling supported and like you can really take things to the next step with this innovative mentality. I think, you know, we talk, talk about from a fundraising standpoint, the Big Ten build, but really that's across the whole athletic department and the campus. We're building as an institution from the academic side, being a part of an AAU institution, being involved with the Big Ten is huge for us from a research and academic standpoint, also from an athletic standpoint. And so it's it's different than schools that I have been at, like at UNC and Oklahoma and Wisconsin that have that level of prestige and excellence as a power five school. And they've been in the large conferences and um, are more established, I would say. And so having opportunity to come in at the ground level with something and create a department, as you said, hire people, build a team and really work with this strategic partnerships angle has been both challenging and rewarding. Sure. So as far as when you're developing that program, what goes into that thought process, like knowing, I, I love how you pointed out that you had obviously worked at some really big universities, some really well-established universities, at least in comparison to where Rutgers may be right now with their athletic programs. And would love to know like what goes into the thought process for, if we're building something from the ground up, like you said, how do we make it work? Like we take pieces that worked from Oklahoma, we take pieces that worked from your other stops throughout or is it more you're relying on because you don't really know the area and you don't maybe really know the university and the roots and everything are you relying on other people to 
help get you more antiquated with everything? How does that work? Yeah. So I think it's a little bit of both. So I always think that you're a product of your experiences and your life experiences and you need to grow from each of those experiences. And, you know, from the nutty professor side of me, that's something that it's an actual methodology to qualitative research. You learn from the lived experiences of yourself and others. Can you just go and take a program that works someone else, somewhere else and institute the same exact thing at another school? For example, could I take the Warhawk Leadership Academy at UW-Whitewater at Division Three school and do the exact same thing at Rutgers? No. But there's elements, and I like to talk about it more from a curriculum approach, like what are the learning outcomes? We think about it more from an educational take on things. We're not just throwing things at the wall to see what sticks from a programming standpoint. We've evolved enough as an organization and as uh, at the national level, the National Association for Academic Advisors and Student-Athlete Development Professionals is now an actual thing that didn't exist 10 years ago. And so trying to have industry standards and work towards those industry standards and measure what we're doing, those are all exciting things that you have to adapt based on the place that you're at at the current time. Cool. So without giving away, obviously, any secrets, you don't have to <laughs> divulge any of that. But say somebody was coming into a position that was similar to yours, whether it's at the collegiate level, division one, like you are, or maybe it's a smaller type college school or even high schools, maybe in the future, they're starting to develop programs like this. What are like one to three things that you would say are the first three things that you need to focus on in order to get a program up and running and have it be something that can be sustainable year over year? Sure. I think the biggest thing, and I'll, I'll say I learned this probably the hard way, uh, we, we instituted something really quickly at UW-Whitewater at Division Three school uh, because of the energy and excitement from campus, but needed to make sure that our coaches were in the loop because a lot of them were already doing you know, separate programming because it was the only option at the time. And so I would say enhancing stakeholder understanding of the why behind what you're doing, making sure that people feel heard and that you're listening to what needs to be done and how you can move forward together. And then also just keeping the student first. Everything you do, you need to think about why are we doing this? And if it's not impacting the student athlete in a positive way, it's not going to be in the mission of what you're doing. How do you, as an athletic director, so someone in your position that may be a little bit more closely aligned with obviously the athletic side versus the academic side. How do you find that balance where you can provide your student athletes with the services and with the information that they need in order to advance as leaders on the athletic field, but also prepare them for life after sport? Sure. So so just kind of to rephrase that, what are some of the major strategies that I would use to prepare student athletes for life after sport? Yeah. Knowing that, you know, maybe your first priority traditionally hadn't always been, you know, when you think about athletic departments, obviously their, their focus is on athletics, right? They're not as focused on the academic side. There's a whole separate wing for that. So just finding that balance where you can work in correlation with whatever those academic advisor departments are, however you need to do it to prepare them with some of those skills. Yeah, I I think it it really is a partnership and people, it's hard when you're, and one thing I noticed, the bigger the institution, the more players there are and the more people that need to be on the same page. So one of the things I really enjoyed about a division three school was there's 
one version of certain types of leadership positions. Like, for example, a, a student affairs officer. There's mm-hmm. usually one of those. In, in a larger school, there might be a couple different people in charge of that conversation. And so just trying to identify who the people are that directly enhance the student experience campus-wide. And then who are your key people, as you mentioned, your academic advisors, your career development specialists, your learning specialists, your tutors, Everybody plays a critical role, and I would expand that to say even your strength and conditioning coaches, your athletic trainers, compliance officers, senior women administrators, people that really are invested in equality for student-athletes and uh, promoting positive experiences all need to be on the same page or at least attempt to be in conversation to get towards the same end goal. Sure. Very cool. Now, with your program specifically, when a student-athlete comes into the university, Are they automatically enrolled into this program or is it something that they can opt into? It's always a conversation of, you know, with the RARA and CARA rules that are, you really have to be careful with mandatory programming. And so it's, we always provide opportunities that student athletes can opt into, but at the same time, it's kind of, kind of an idea of why would you not opt in? If it's a positive experience, it should be something that everybody wants to be a part of or that coaches should get behind and want their student athletes to be a part of. So we do a lot of, freshman experience programming and we try to take an all-in approach to that again nothing is mandatory per se but at the same time it's this is something that is available to you should you want to take advantage of it and most of the time people are taking advantage of it and then as it goes into the sophomore junior and senior year we focus more individually on what is your individual career plan and what does that look like and that's more of an opt-in I always say you can you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make it drink. We can provide all these opportunities to student athletes, but there is some onus on themselves as well as an individual and a leader. So focusing that freshman year on high impact personal leadership skills so that then they feel more comfortable with staff and they're more willing to take those next steps to move forward. So when you're working with a student athlete, especially as you mentioned, they progress through and you're working a little bit more individually with them and their sport. Is it imperative to have the buy-in from especially like a head coach of an organization or of a program, excuse me, to give the student athlete time to do these type of things? Because I know like when I was in school and maybe it was like this when you were in school, because obviously these things weren't weren't even around. I I was going to say they weren't as big a thing, but they weren't even around. So it wasn't like a coach had to carve out time to say, Hey, you and you, you can go do this or do that. Like it takes a time commitment on top of preparation for games and preparation for the season. And then on top of your academics and maybe trying to be a college student somewhere in between there. So how do you get that buy-in from coaches to say like, Hey, we're going to take them away from the practice field, maybe to help them because we realize that, I don't know, what's the percentage? 99% of student athletes go professional in something other than the professional sports. So, Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is you have to look at it as added value and not taking away. Really focusing things in the off season has been kind of the sweet spot for programming. Clearly in season, it's a heavy travel time. You want to be very cognizant of that. The student experience is taking a lot of time and the athlete experience in season is definitely heavier from just a pure hours for competition and dedicated to travel, et cetera. So for us, it's always been regardless of school, really targeting the off season and the freshman experience to lay the groundwork really from the get go. And then having those skills that you can build on moving forward. I think from the coach's standpoint as well, it's just important to make sure that 
you're on the same page and speaking similar lingo, lingo or language with them so that it's not like you're going left and they're going right. Sure. Uh, so you, you, know, you still will have coaches that want to do specific programming with their athletes that maybe isn't departmental wide. And I don't see a problem with that as long as you're constantly in conversation with parallels and how can we extend messages versus have different messages. 30 second break to talk about my sponsor Sweat with Stott. What a great sponsor she is. She's been with Pod since day one and we love having her support. Sweat with Stods offers a number of different options to get you on a path to improve your fitness future. Everything from fitness, nutrition, and simple healthy habits. So what are you waiting for? Head over to sweatwithstods.com right now and when you buy a program, enter the code DYNAMIC at checkout to receive a discount for being a loyal podcast listener. Now back to the show. How do you, as the leader, not only prepare yourself on a daily basis to lead a team and to lead a new program, but how do you make it so that you're continuously learning and you're bringing new ideas to the table? Like, Do you have a process that that gets done in the busyness of your day-to-day? Yeah, I mean, some days I'll be honest, are a scramble. You know, there's a lot going on, and it's a scramble. But I try to be very just organized, and I think about for me, I, I really try to bring more of a critical, data-driven approach to programs and how we interface with students. Uh, I know there's a lot of platforms and ways that people like myself are now utilizing tracking mechanisms. So I'll, I'll give out a shout right now to Helper Helper. That's been an application that is on the rise and expanding with its capabilities. And it's something that I've really enjoyed working with uh, their director, Krista Clement, ways to expand that so it makes the life of a director a little more easy in the sense that you're not doing spreadsheets and Google Drive and all these shared docs of things. It can be in one one application that a student athlete can go into, log their internship, they can log their community service hours, they can log uh, leadership, SAC, anything that they're doing right in this application. And so that's been a a game changer for us. Um, I know there's many other platforms out there as well. Uh, I know Game Plan has done a lot with uh, the corporate sponsorship angle and the employer relations side. And uh, people have had success with that. So it's, it's kind of a, I would say, evolving field but for me it's trying to be very data driven and being able to demonstrate a return on investment as both both for students coaches and also people that are supporting the program financially do you like to from a personal perspective still get to let's say a leadership conference or listen to leadership type podcasts read those type of books like as far as that type of preparation goes is that something that you enjoy doing it is, yeah. I, I would say I constantly, and that's why I really enjoy teaching as well, is you're constantly kind of staying abreast of what's going on and sure. and what's happening in the field and staying current. I think that's really important so that you know what the changing, evolving aspects are of the profession. This profession has changed dramatically over the last 10 years, and it's continuously changing. Uh, one of my good friends and colleagues, Ashton Henderson, is now, currently, we have a structure where there's a president, a first vice president, and a second vice president of our national organization. And it's exciting to see somebody ascend, I should say, to a presidential role that has been primarily in the student-athlete development space in an organization that has been traditionally more academic-centric. And it just really shows that marrying and synergy between these two areas moving forward. So I think to your question, again, a long-winded way of saying it's 
such a changing and dynamic aspect of college athletics right now that it's important to stay current, specifically with your professional associations, the content that they're putting out. And then also from just a being a scholar practitioner, I'll always say just understanding what is the research or the method behind the madness for what you're doing in your daily practice. I want to do a little project via phone here, and I realize I didn't prep you for these questions, so take your time no, answering them. But <laughs> <laughs> when I was doing research into the program before our call today, I noticed that one of the highlights, if you will, for what you want your student athletes to learn are based on four words that really stuck out to me. And I'd love to go one by one and hear specifically what they mean to you and what they mean as far as what you're trying to teach your student athletes. Can we do that? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So the first one, I forget what the full line was, but it was in constant pursuit of excellence, innovation, engagement, and collaboration. So let's start with that first one, excellence. Sure. The pillar of excellence, or when we think about excellence, really it's a a relentless pursuit of excellence is what drives our whole athletic department and also our department's strategic plan. So I would say with the area of excellence, it's really about how do we help student-athletes be excellent in all the the hats that they wear, or I like to say in the roles that they have, both student and athlete. So we think about athletics and success in athletics, academics, and life. That's a tagline we've used both at Wisconsin Whitewater and now at Rutgers. So when I think about excellence, it's you know, obviously the striving to be the best you can, but also doing things intentionally with purpose to really balance and be a full holistic person in both the student and athlete perspective. So I know I'm going offline a little bit here, but one of my other questions that I was going to have for you, you mentioned it was success. Sure. You're really looking to obviously help these student athletes find success, not only in college while they're with you, but after they leave you. And success means so many different things to so many different people. It could mean for one person getting an A on a paper, the other person it could mean doing 40 hours of community service every year or something like that. How do you define success and how do you make that a part of what you teach and how you go about your daily life? Yeah. And that's, that's huge. I think the blessing and the curse of our profession is that there are so many things that can define success that it's how do you pair it back to giving a picture of what, I'll say ROI, return on investment, or what the actual impact is. We just put together what we would call our impact report for the year. And what we focused on quite a bit was where are student-athletes going in terms of postgraduate outcomes? And so from a success standpoint, are they finding meaningful experiences that relate to their education and how can we continue to foster that conversation point success again if we think about our program specifically has six different pillars i'll go through briefly personal enhancement so success there we think about our student athletes readily and able to engage in mental health and wellness training with our sports psychology area are they open to diversity and inclusion conversations Uh, do they feel supported So those are all like data points or areas that we work towards the community engagement side. It's there. That's more of a quantifiable number of hours, but also what is the impact that they're having on the students that they're touching in the schools? We like to really have that qualitative feedback on what is the organization gaining from us partnering on a weekly basis with them. So success in that aspect might even look like at the end of the year awards, you have one of the, 
students that's been a part of your programs coming to the end of year banquet, or we call it the R Awards. It's definitely an opportunity for them to say thank you to all the student athletes that have given their time. Um, so those little things are just as big as any kind of data that you can collect. And then on the career side, as I mentioned before, the postgraduate outcome. So our, where are students going in terms of internships? Are they getting full-time employment? Are they doing different service activities with either the Peace Corps or one of the service uh, armed forces areas? And just having an understanding of where they are, and then that fuels our final pillar of alumni engagement. How, from a success standpoint, how engaged are our alums with us from a mentorship capacity and also this idea of employer relationships? Are they still feeling connected to us and our current student-athletes? I want to say that I really appreciate this part of our conversation. I know I took us one way, it took us another way, and you've taken us in another direction. But the reason <laughs> the reason I started to ask about these words and defining them and everything is because in some ways, just the way that, especially in corporate America, I see it a lot. But if you just see the word, like if you see success, like, yeah, we want to be successful, it just becomes a buzzword. Like it loses its meaning, right? And totally, yeah. All of these other things, like whether it's excellence or whether it's community engagement, alumni engagement, postgraduate work, they can all, if you just look at it on the surface, just be a buzzword and not really have much meaning. But it seems like you've really taken the time and put the effort into saying, this is what it means for us as a community and as a university. And this is how we want our student athletes to represent it moving forward, whether it's on the athletic field, if they're still with us or after that. So I just really want to say that I really appreciate this part of the conversation. And I think I want to acknowledge because I think that the work that's being done, it's, I think it can just be so easy to not really put that focus and that time in and just say, Hey, read this book by, you know, really influential person, you'll become a better leader. And there's just so much more that goes into it. And I think that's like really the point of this part of the conversation is that it's a complex thing. Definitely. Definitely. And I think, like you said, buzzwords can be thrown out there quite a bit. And it's a holistic student engagement. Those are all kind of buzzwords that are out there right now. But if you can tie things to actual quantifiable and qualifiable data in the sense of the real words of what student athletes are getting from a program or what the number of people that are employed in three months, six months after graduation, not just that they have a job, but that it's a meaningful position. I think those are all aspects of how you define success. And as a professional organization, I think we're still trying to get our head around that. And again, kudos to the N4A group that's really putting out this idea of trying to wrap our head around what is a quantifiable and qualifiable way for us to have an industry standard with this whole concept of career and life after sport. Yeah, and I love the point that you made about whether you're measuring it 30 months, 60 months, however far out it is about one of your student athletes, let's say, who's gone through the program and what type of work they're doing, making it meaningful type work, like not just having a job. I mean, I, I guess there's nothing wrong with just having a job and, and contributing in that way. But wanting to go that extra mile, I think, is a really noble aspect to what you're trying to do. When you want to be able to quantify that, is that really a messy process? Like, how do, you, how, do you, how do you determine, like, what is meaningful work versus maybe somebody who uh, is doing something that isn't meaningful in your eyes or in the eyes of the administration? Yeah, I think from a, like, a quantifiable standpoint, like, we, we do 
pre and post tests for our student athletes to try to understand you know, where are they at with their major selection, where are they at with the number of hours that they're kind of engaging outside of the classroom with uh, community service. And for me, I'm always looking more at like the qualitative feedback. I think there's both forms of data are strong and needed, but for me, I've always thought about qualitative experiences to be important. So we do end of the year meetings with all of our student athletes in the form of an exit interview. And it's really uh, something that's been important for us to understand. We also have some data from coaches in the final coaches evaluation on how things are going specifically with our unit. I saw you're on the chair for the Women Leaders in College Sports Student-Athlete Development Leadership Committee. What are you trying to accomplish with that specific committee? I've had a lot of really interesting conversation with women lately about just trying to continue that momentum, that positive momentum to get women in more positions of influence and get them in positions of head coaches, let's say, for example, at a college program or at a, in a professional program. Is that type of work being done in that organization, or are you doing other things with that? So with the women leaders, so I'm involved kind of in a couple different areas of women's leadership. So there's an actual organization, Women Leaders in College Athletics, formerly NACWA, and they're really leading the charge on this idea of women rising to leadership positions in college sport. Also throughout N4A, the organization I keep referring to, we have professional development program called PDI or professional development Institute. And that's a way that we're really trying to enhance diversity in all of the areas of leadership within student athlete development units, whether that be a learning specialist, academic, academic advisor, a student athlete development professional, career development professional. So we've really expanded the offerings there. And with that, I think you're seeing more and more people from diverse backgrounds ascending to leadership positions. Can you tell us a little bit more about that diversity piece specifically, like why it's so important to focus on? Sure. I think it's extremely important in the sense of just making sure that we have people in leadership positions that are reflective of the student athlete body. And if you have several individuals from a more diverse population, for example, we have a very heavy population of international student athletes. It's important to make sure that you're knowledgeable on different areas of things that may not be your specific cultural group or your background experiences. So I would say it's not just a racial conversation or an ethnicity conversation. It's really diversity of thought and making yourself what I would like to say a culturally competent person that can help lead a globally competent group of student athletes. I love that phrase. Probably going to steal in the future, just forewarning you. Sure, sure. And and that's huge. One of the biggest pieces that we try to focus on is cultural intelligence and emotional intelligence. And both of them, I think, are very much needed for this generation of students that are going into the workforce. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. And want to give you an opportunity. And I noticed that you have a new book coming out, a collaborative book. It's titled Implementing Student-Athlete Programming, a Guide for Supporting college athletics. Yes. Coming out August 21st, I think I saw was the release date. It is, yes. Yeah, awesome. So, how did that all come about? Like, did you want to write a book? Like, yeah, like, what is, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm always, I'm always yeah, interested in that. Oh, <laughs> um, no. I, so, 
as I mentioned before, it's it's been a work in progress over the last, I would say, 10 years, the culmination of a lot of the work that I've done, both in my doctoral program in educational leadership and uh, counseling psychology, and then also pieces of my dissertation. I did a, a study on career construction of student-athletes to really understand programming, uh, and then also collaborative work that I've done with other professors who also work in the space of student development. So it's it's been, a, I would say, three years in the process for writing and 10 years in the process for content, just uh, deriving the content based on experiences and data-driven approaches that I've taken to this athletics and academics blending. So it's really a, a book for new professionals or current professionals that want to learn to take a data-driven approach to programming, how to create a curriculum, and then how to assess a curriculum or assess, assess programming. So it's more than just, you can get obviously a lot out of it, I'm sure, on the, the student-athlete development portion of everything, but... I think what you just said was if you want to develop a curriculum or a programming around X, Y, Z, whatever that is, you can use this book as a guide and as a framework to say, this is how you get started. Definitely, definitely. And I think the other aspect that we tried to delve into is this idea of funding. I think a lot of people struggle because this is a new area to find funding for programs. So how you have strategic conversations with the corporate side of an athletic department or the leadership um, in the development office, those are all important. I am fascinated by obviously this type of conversation and this type of work. So I will be picking up a copy of this book when, when it's available. <laughs> but awesome. That's fantastic. Let yeah. me know what you think. Yes, yeah, for sure. Uh, for any listeners that might be interested in purchasing the book, is there a website to send them to? Can they get it in traditional bookstores? Yeah, so it's a, there's a link I can send directly to you uh, that people can pre-order. Uh, it's also going to be available on Amazon, but there's lots of, lots of ways you can go about it. So I, I can shoot you a direct link. Yeah, that would be great. And then I can I can uh, include it into the show notes so that all the listening audience, if they want to reference it real quick, they can just click on it right yeah. from their phone or laptop. That'll make it really easy for there. How about the future of your programming at Rutgers? What does it look like? Like, give us the Give us five years. I know even five years is probably too far out, but what are like some of the, the biggest focuses and things outside of obviously everything that we talked about already? But if you could you know, look back and say like, wow, we had a really big impact on this and we really did this really well in, in a few years. Like what are some of those things that you want for the future of the program that just really light up your eyes every time you think about them? Sure. I think where we're really trying to head is, is having conversations continuously around how do we have a financially sustainable program and the idea of endowment always comes up, the idea of donor relationships always comes up. Uh, several of the counterparts of the Big Ten do have endowed programs and so that would be a goal for us to continue to find uh, funding to make things sustainable and continuously grow. I think for us also it's important to have more opportunities for our staff to professionally develop and uh, elevate and with that comes new positions that they can then oversee i'm really big on staff and professional development um, i think for us in year two it's really focused on our six programmatic areas now we've changed a lot so it's really letting them roll and making sure that everybody's 
pulling in the same direction and making sure all of our coaches, we have several new head coaches right now. So getting everybody on the same page will be a big focus for us in the fall, uh, which I'm excited about. We just had our head coaches retreat this past summer a couple weeks ago, and there's really high energy. So I would say in our next two years, it's really trying to just keep everybody rowing in the same direction and kind of reset because we have had so much change. And then as we continue to, to find success, then adding more new things. So we, we can't just keep adding new things every year because then you dilute what's currently happening. So mm -hmm. I would say now we're in uh, implementation phase after a huge change process. Really quickly on the fundraising piece, say there's somebody listening to this and just across the board, if maybe they're close to a program, they're an alum of a program or whatever it is, and they want to support their student athlete development, from a fundraising standpoint, can you just talk to us a little bit more about like how they might be able to contribute if they have the ability to do so? Yeah, so we've really worked on what we would call our strategic partnerships group between our Rutgers Sport Properties, which is our corporate relationships arm that has inventory points that are things like signage, different areas within radio spots, media booklets, that kind of thing trying to understand how we can then create what's called an inventory point within the student-athlete programming. So, for example, access to student-athletes that want jobs in a certain area and allowing them to come into a career fair. Uh, that could be something that is um, sellable in terms of there's return on investment for an employer being able to hire one of our student-athletes and having that direct contact and FaceTime with them from a recruiting standpoint. On the other side of things, from a fundraising angle, there's people who want to philanthropically give, and it's really an opportunity for them to see the lives of the student-athletes impacted on a four-year basis, but also life after sport. So corporate angle, also philanthropic, kind of giving without the expectation of something in return, kind of two angles you can go at it. And we, we talk a lot about that in the last chapter of this book that's coming out. Very cool. The show is called dynamic leaders and obviously throughout your life I'm sure you've come across plenty of in influential people that have shaped who you are and have just given you all this ammunition to create this awesome program at Rutgers and just really run with it and make something that's going to be great for the student athletes can you shout out one or two people that you want to talk about today on the show that have really impacted you in one way or another Man, just to, to even pick a couple is, is difficult because it's really, I, I always say it takes a village. <laughs> and there's definitely a village that have helped me to get to where I am. But I think my parents, just being in a family of educators and having that mindset of servant leadership from a young age has been crucial. I would also say my first experience working at University of North Carolina with uh, Dr. Cricket Lane was really transformational for me. She encouraged me to pursue a doctoral degree and really take this data-driven approach to things. Um, I would also say at Whitewater, uh, my department chair, Dr. Kelly Whitty, who gave me an opportunity to really grow and develop my tenure profile based on a lot of this work has been crucial. And currently, Sarah Baumgartner, my direct report, our deputy AD, just being so supportive with everything in the sense of being innovative and wanting to grow and you know, allowing me to kind of have this large platform and runway to come in and, and make change for positive for our student athletes, our coaches, and our staff. That is a great way to end this conversation. And it's been super interesting for me to not only learn more about 
what you're doing at the university, but just learn more about you and how you approach things and what's important and how to figure all this out. Because I think one of the things you highlighted really well throughout the conversation today was that this work is needed. However, it is not fully funded yet. And there's opportunity to continue to grow there. So I definitely, I definitely hope that people who listen to this conversation pick up on that and continue to invest where they can, whether that's time, money, resources, whatever they can to help programs like yours advance in the future. And I will say, I wish you the very best for your program. Just take it easy on Penn State every time you play us. Just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, the Happy Valley folks will try, but it's tough. But Christina, this is, again, just been an awesome conversation for me. And I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on and join us for the show. No problem. Thank you for having me on. Thank you to Christina for joining the podcast. What a great conversation. So interesting. And I hope if you have interest in this field, you had a lot of takeaways. And if you really want to get nerdy with this topic, definitely check out Christina's book. That link is in the show notes. Really want to support her there. That book comes out on August 21st. You can pre-order it now. Thank you to my sponsor, Sweat With Stods. Go to www.sweatwithstods.com today to see what she can do for your fitness future tomorrow. Thank you to my listeners. Week after week, we've done this for almost a full year now. Coming up on episode number 50 next week. Please stay tuned for that. And until next time, take it easy. Yeah.